Welcome, everyone. I have Zach and Matt from Working Drummer Podcast on the show. And I was fortunate enough to be a guest on their podcast a few weeks ago. So, of course, I forced them to take time away from their families to talk to me. So, thanks, guys. They don't need us. (laughs) Well, I don't have one, so uh, they can can wait. But, uh, yeah, so this is my first uh, three-way show. So I'm I'm looking forward to a lot of awkward pauses, a lot of uh, interruptions, and uh, we'll just go with it. But yeah, I wanted to stick with the theme of my format, which is basically, you know, top five influences. So I have you guys on. We are going to get to that. But I do want to start off with you guys can take the reins. And for people, for the few people that might not know about Working Drummer Podcast, because you guys are one of the OGs, um, <laughs> how'd you guys meet and why'd you guys decide to do the podcast and maybe describe kind of the format of your podcast a little bit? Uh, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Um, I think it was uh, late 2014. I was on the road for many years and feeling disconnected with the, the drumming community that I got to know in Nashville, uh, working, you know, working in the community. And then uh, when I was younger, I worked retail and just really kind of fell in love with just learning so much from my peers and everything like that. But when you're on the road, you, you, you live in a bubble and you feel disconnected not only from your family and friends, but also just like the music community and just feeling like this uh, arrested development uh, in your in your music. And uh, I'm, I'm laying in my hotel room and I thought, podcast, I, that, that would be cool, man. And it would give me an excuse to do something creative as not being a songwriter, something that I can call my own after years of being playing a supportive role as a as a drummer and all these doing all these other things for other creatives I wanted something that I could create and I knew I could do that and then uh, my my good friend Mike Jackson uh, just had moved down to Nashville and I say can we do this can you help me can you be my tech guru and he's like yeah let's do it and I just I knew after being in Nashville for over 15 years insanely talented wonderful drummers and I figured I could start there. Uh, and then um, reaching out to Nick Ruffini at Drummer's Resource, uh, getting advice, uh, how to move forward, how to grow, all those good things. He introduced me to Zach and wanted us to partner. And and I'm like, what? Do what? Because <laughs> <laughs> Nick wanted to create this kind of umbrella of podcasts. Um, which he has kind of since done. Um, yeah. And, and the original idea was to sort of have Drummer's Resource and, and our podcast um, and a couple others sort of under uh, one media umbrella. Um, and it, it ended up that that wasn't the best way to go for, for us or Nick. And, and we're still totally cool with Nick. We love him. We've, we've had yeah. him on our podcast a few times. Um, but sorry, I, I, I jumped in there. No, that's that. I mean, that's that's it. And and. And I, I was I was hesitant because it, it was kind of my baby that I had created. But, you know, getting on the phone with Zach and, and talking, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, man, this is cool. And, and you were moving from L.A. and I thought, oh, he could bring in L.A. And you're like, yeah, I'm leaving L.A. I'm like, oh, wait, no, he's not. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I, I joined with you like you were 40 or 50 episodes in or something. And I started yeah. banking episodes in L.A. in like the last two or three months that I lived there. Um, and since moving to Atlanta, I've interviewed just a bunch more of the LA people that, that I know and love. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I sort of brought 
LA to Atlanta and then started getting to know the Atlanta scene and have interviewed a bunch of those guys. Um, and I've also branched out to cover, um, you know, other cities and regions in the U.S. as well as, uh, you know, a few global uh, locations. Um, but, uh, you know, our, our goal was to sort of um, give a snapshot or, you know, many, many different snapshots of what life as a professional musician is like. There are plenty of podcasts and resources in the drum world that um, do a great job of covering uh, technique and um, gear and, and, and all that stuff. But we wanted to really sort of get into people's stories, um, you know, where their path has led them over the years. Um, how they've dealt with, uh, you know, different uh, emotional, psychological, business, financial challenges, um, you know, all the stuff that comes with being a professional musician that that not a lot of professional musicians talk about. I, I can also add that uh, it's funny to think back of my hesitancy in to bring in a, bringing in another person, but uh, having somebody that doesn't live in Nashville lets everyone know, look, this might have started in Nashville, but it, please know we are reaching way beyond this music scene. And uh, not only that, but my perspective is only based on my experience. And so to have a co-host that has a completely different experience is such a blessing. I feel like for as diverse as our experiences are, uh, in our career, in our drumming, in our lives. Uh, it, it's amazing that we see eye to eye on so many things, and yet there's this nice balance between bouncing off ideas and uh, and and trying out something, and then somebody has another idea, and it just kind of, it really, I, I think the partnership, uh, I've said this to Zach many times, it just, it just elevates things, and I'm just, it's uh, such a blessing to have him. Indeed, likewise. I feel like such like a like a couples therapist. Like you guys are doing great. You guys, are, you, I love. We've how come much a long come, way. Yeah. We've come a long way. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I mean, it's it shows on the show. So um, it's funny. I've been doing this since 2019, and so I'm still infant in this whole thing. And I don't remember a time of my life when I didn't have the podcast in my life. Does it? I mean, can you guys imagine not doing something every week when it comes to this? Or is that so foreign? Uh, no, I, I can imagine it. I've, you know, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd always rather do less than more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, uh, it's, it's been such a great, uh, platform for me, um, as, uh, you know, just as a drummer in my own right, I think the same is true for Matt. Um, and it's just a, a different way to stay sort of connected and, and visible in, um, in the drumming world and in the music world, because we've all got our gigs, we've all got our social media, um, but this is um, this is just another platform for us to have. And you know, even there there are some days when it's like, oh, I got yeah, I got to do that interview today, or I gotta I gotta edit this thing, um, and I don't necessarily feel like it. But almost always, I'm I'm rewarded with just a great conversation or um, you know a, a lesson that I had sort of forgotten that one of my guests. Uh, sort of taught me <laughs> in the interview. Sure. I, again, I think it is a platform in such a way that feels selfless because we're sharing other people's stories, and yet we're 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 getting a little bit of uh, I, I don't know what the word is, but like we're we're reaching other people with our presence, but it's not always about us, which sometimes for me personally uh, feels awkward. 
especially in a sea of um, amazing talent and all these things in social media being being the old guy in this group here is sometimes eludes me the the the, the formula behind it but also at this point the podcast has kind of been on autopilot it kind of is such a routine uh that it, it, there are there are weeks that it's like oh my gosh I, I don't know if i'm gonna have time for this or i don't have anybody scheduled uh quite yet the way i should but then like zach said after the interview i i feel energized i feel mm-hmm. like i just came off a gig and i'm like man i feel good i'm, I'm ready to i'm ready to grow and i i just i I don't know. I've learned so much. I mean, I say that all the time as the guest, but it's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's been like therapy sessions for me because hearing hearing um, how many different paths people have chosen, it's 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 made me much more secure in my own path. You know, yeah. just we're yeah. we're over three hundred episodes in, and we've heard three hundred completely different stories. Um, with with different sets of priorities, so it's given it's helped me like develop a clear idea of you know, what I really give a shit about, what my priorities are, and and just sort of being more confident in my own path. Uh, if I can just add one last thing to that, uh, I, I, as far as like being very therapeutic, one of the first few guests that I had on, probably the first, you know, within the group of 20, a lot of them were my peers that we were competing for some of the same gigs. Uh, a couple of them I lost gigs to. We were friends, but I don't know. I always had this kind of pit in my stomach, like, oh, that guy, you know, he's uh, stealing my gigs or getting my gigs. Mm -hmm. And to invite that person to my house to sit down and have an honest, long-form discussion was was so just rewarding in, in just kind of seeing that person for who the, the hard work that they did, the talent that they had, not not taking anything away from that, but just kind of like, you're awesome, and I consider you a friend, and I, it's time for me to move on, and I just, it gave me so much peace, and, and like Zach said, just confidence in myself. That's awesome. Yeah. For me, too, I would say that during the pandemic, uh, which is an exhausted topic, I'm sure, but having, having <laughs> something- this now? <laughs> yeah, there's this thing going on and you can't see it, but uh, <clears throat> no, it's it, having something that I could, you know, have it like an inception and then produce it and release it once a week, having this kind of finality of something every week. Because with what we're doing, even when you send off tracks, like a song's never done, you always like whatever, whatever. And working on your on your drums and stuff, you make progress. But to have something that has like a start and an end once a week was so needed in the last year yeah to oh, yeah. feel just to feel productive yep you know totally but all right so i do um i have some questions i want to talk to you guys about or ask you guys and it's i basically stole them from tim ferris but i made them a little more <laughs> drum focused <laughs> this one's for me actually this is not tim's on average how many times do you guys record your intros hmm <laughs> I, I think we approach them differently because I actually write them out. Okay. So I, I just like read this, you know, the little script that I kind of compose every week and I might have to do it a second time, but usually I'm one take. Ugh, I need to get better I, I at like that. The, I like the way Zach assumes I don't write mine out. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Is that, is that you reading? Is that <laughs> that's me? That's me reading my handwriting. 
Uh, you know, it, it varies. Sometimes I, I write it out, but but like recording the intro is always just like the last minute thing I'm doing. And I'm I'm always the last minute guy. Yeah. I mean, I was up till two last night because because the 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 episode that came out today has a video companion with it. So I'm uploading YouTube video and waiting for you know I'm a last minute person. So uh, yes, last night uh, was an improvised guy and then edit. So it's not the best. It's it's not a great way to do it. Um, it but it forces me to make them shorter and shorter uh, because. We had a guest recently say, oh, I didn't know you guys were on Patreon, and he just signed up for Patreon. And I'm like, we, we announce it every day, every yeah. show, uh, but it tells us that they're probably fast-forwarding uh, through that and trying to get through the meat of it. And I'm like, yeah, maybe we should shorten that intro, or you know, at least I need to kind of shore that up. So if, I, that if, doesn't answer your question. <laughs> I was going to say, if our, <laughs> if our listeners listen to our podcast the way I listen to podcasts, I'm surprised any of them know about Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Yeah. Yeah, I I have, uh, <laughs> it's the, the perfectionist in me, but I, I start off every show basically, and people are listening, you've known how this show started off, but it's like, I say, hello, hello, welcome back, and like, I'll hate the first 10 times I say the word hello, and I'll just be like, nope, that was stupid, hello, hello. nope, nope, hello, yeah, oh, there's definitely a bunch of cracks in there. Oh my God! Are you Anyways. looking over your shoulder? You know, while you're doing that, like, oh man, the people in the other room are just cracking up listening Luck to me. Luckily, there's like a, an entire story between me and the the my 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 roommate essentially. So it's just my own my own head making me record you know re-record it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. So what is? And I'll just start arbitrarily. I'll I'll start with Zach. What is one of the best or mo most worthwhile? Let me start that over. What is one of the hello, best? Hello, hello. <laughs> exactly. See, that's what I'm talking Take about. Take two. I'm like reading it. It's like big text. Um, <laughs> what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've made in your drumming career? This could be an investment of time, energy, money, whatever. Oh, Jesus. Um, I... Uh, I, I think this this room that you're looking at here is is what leaps to mind um, because this this was my COVID project. Nice. Um, so oh, like over the last year, I've been fortunate to be able to invest uh, a little bit of money and quite a bit of time into finally getting some drum tracking going in this room, um, and uh, I, I, it's it's helped me sort of like see a way forward after COVID. Um, just uh you know having just having another facet to what i can do what i enjoy doing what i want to learn more about um so yeah that's that's kind of the first thing that leaves to mind great i feel uh, like for it matt might it might be yeah it might be a similar thing because i know you've been working on yours yeah well it is but i have to say it's it's a little bit more long term uh i mean it is it is that as well but i i would say that the the time and money in transplanting myself from Columbus to Nashville mm. has been probably the biggest thing if that could be quantified as an investment but it it I can't imagine doing what I'm doing in any capacity if I would have stayed where I was do you uh would you move to Nashville again like if you could do it all over again in present time or would you move to a different city I mean I know you've established yourself there now but that's a great question I never thought of that but um off the top of my head I would say yes okay yeah. I, I know what the future holds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There you go. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so this one, it's, it's, it's hard to translate it to specifically to drumming, but I'll just, I'll try and do it. Because I know you guys have talked to a lot of drummers, obviously, that are grinding, and they've probably received a lot of bad advice, or just there's preconceived notions about how to work in the drumming industry and, and, and make it. But has there been a consistent bad recommendation um, about making a living in drums that you've heard? That is like, well, this is this old trope that you just don't believe is true anymore, or never was. Um, I, 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 I can speak to if I just while it's in my head before yeah. it goes away. Um, I think what's interesting is, and I, th I think this might relate to what you're talking about, is a lot of people think, oh, I'll just fall back on teaching, mm -hmm. and support myself in music in this aspect until playing or recording or whatever. I, I feel like that's bad advice. Not only is it bad advice, is because if you don't want to teach, you shouldn't teach. Not only is it bad for you, it's so bad for the students. It's so bad for people that want to 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 learn the instrument. Um, and mm -hmm. and so I think you have to be honest with yourself. And so people think, oh, I'll just do something in music. And uh, I think it's really important to if you're just trying to earn a living and you can't do what you want to do. Um, don't be afraid to do something outside of music to earn money so you can stay focused on what your music goals are. I love that. I would say I'll, I'll preface this by saying that it's not always bad advice, um, but I think uh, a lot of young musicians, myself included, are encouraged uh, sometimes very strongly to go to music school, to go to college. Mm. Um, and... Like I said, that's not always bad advice, um, but I think uh, not enough young musicians uh, really think about what um, what the goal is there and uh, whether or not the if they choose to go to college, whether or not the, the school they're going to um, really uh, suits the kind of player they are, the kind of person they are and the kind of career they want to have. Um, cause speaking for myself, like I went, I went to, uh, I, I have a bachelor's degree and two master's degrees all in music. And I just sort of kept going to school because, you know, I, when I was in high school, I was told that's what you do. You go into a classical percussion program and, you know, I learned a ton, uh, in, in all the schools I went to and all the degrees I got. Um, but if, if I could talk to my 18 year old self, um, I would have I would have just uh, <laughs> given given him a minute to like really think about what you want your career to look like and uh, is you know is the decision to go to college and the colleges that you're choosing to go to um, really going to help get you there or is it going to be sort of a weird detour um, that you learn a bunch of shit and then you sort of come back to what you wanted to do originally which is play drum set for a living. Um, You've got all this experience that you learned that you wouldn't have learned otherwise, but like there might have been a straighter line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the the one thing that is really true still about college is that it's 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 the networking. You're around like-minded people. So I think mm -hmm. most people that I've talked to, the thing that they've gotten the most out of, even if they, you know, reference Berkeley or whatever, it's the people they've met at Berkeley, not so much what they learned at Berkeley. Yes, for sure. 
And that's a perfect example. Like in my case, for for years, like for my bachelor's degree and my master's degree, I I wasn't around students who wanted to go play drum set for a living. I was around Mm. students who were going to graduate and go audition for symphonies. And, you know, for a while I was sort of bullshitting myself thinking that's what I would do too. But it it took me a while to come to the realization that like, that's not what I want to do. So, so yeah. Great. All right, so we can just hop into the top five of you guys if you uh, if you'd like. I'm ready. Yeah, well, you, you got a lot to cover. There's two of us. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Uh, but still, you know, the more you can give me, the better, guys. So um, I'll just start again. Well, I started with Zach last time, so I'll start with Matt. And I want to say I I, uh, I read that you played a little bit with Kevin Costner, and I won't really go into the story too much, but I can say it because he said it on our podcast. But Eric Slick from Doctor Dog told a story on his episode about he's he's a he's a very healthy guy doesn't drink too much doesn't do any hard drugs but he did mushrooms one time after a doctor <laughs> dog show and kevin costner was playing the same show and so he has such a vivid memory of just randomly taking mushrooms and seeing kevin costner and it was just this weird afternoon for him so that's uh, that's that's crazy well and and for the record i mean i i played percussion on a couple of his records that's that's all i did and i never met him okay. but um i'm good friends with this guitar player and i knew his producer and um yeah that's a trip so that 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 goes in my list uh for sure because uh most of the people i played with a lot of people don't know who they are but when you list kevin costner even (laughs) as a percussion credit that's you just i just i'm sorry have to or no apologies (laughs) please don't apologize Matt's, matt's track with kevin costner is actually in my top five well, there you go. It must be the tambourine one. <laughs> it's it's this. it's just five different sections of that song. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> it's this. Kabasa baby. <laughs> Dude, so that right there is the one percussive instrument that I suck at. Doesn't matter how I, that that wrist rotation, I cannot they always have to quantize it or they just say, "Ben, let's just move on." Maybe. <laughs> this this right here has made it on Kevin Costner's record. The, that now exact watch, one. This, this, but this yeah, using it that? as the little shaker, yeah. Using it as the shaker. Talk, <laughs> the rest of the episode should just be a kibasa technique. Yeah. <laughs> let's, just, let's just pivot. Okay, See, enough of that. So much better than me. Um, all right, so Matt, your first one, I will, I'll kind of, yeah, it's just going to be it's the story of Kenny Arnoff's clinic that inspired yeah. you to move to Nashville. And I, don't, I have no clips for this. I could play Kenny Arnoff, but... Let's just, uh, yeah, let's just Oh, let, I recorded let, let the whole clinic. So um, here's. <laughs> Thank you. And here's Kenny Arnoff. Um, it's it's a bad you, recording. See you in an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like ni- 98 or so. I was working at Columbus Pro Percussion in Columbus, Ohio, and he was on tour with John Fogarty. Calls Jim Rupp. Hey, I'm going to be in town. Can I run by the store and do a clinic on a day off on Monday? Yeah, it's Kenny. Like, I, I, hey, I have nothing going on. Let's got to fill the day up. And. We're like, yes, of course. So this last minute bulletin, yo, uh, Kenny Arnoff's going to be here Monday. Who wants to show up? And there were like 12 of us sitting there. And I've told this story on our podcast before, but that was a super important moment for me when I, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. I had finished college. I was working in Columbus, playing with different bands, uh, surrounded by amazingly talented drummers that were just scraping by and I thought what do I want do I want to move to Nashville I'm playing all these different styles of music but I really kind of like this and what do I want to do and Kenny said something he said 
y'all need to, he didn't say y'all. Uh, <laughs> he said, you need to know something like, I, I do one or two things really well, and I've made a career out of that. Uh, so you have to ask yourself, you know, can you, do you have 10 C minus grooves or do you have three A plus grooves? And that's because, because I was at an age where I'm like, I'm playing in a Brazilian band, I'm playing big band, I'm playing top 40, I'm playing Grateful Dead stuff. And I, I'm just like trying to learn all the different styles like you do, like is so important. It's, it's kind of your, it's, it, it's so important as in your development. But I was settling in on what it was that I was passionate about, what it was that I was good at, and and jazz wasn't one of them. Uh, I was good enough to do, but but not to make a career out of. And so when he said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I am moving to Nashville, <laughs> and I don't know if I'll ever play jazz again. But I'm going to play two and four, and I'm going to. Uh, just start over and as scary as it was uh, that was the moment that made me decide to move and then fast forward about seven eight years later I'm in Colorado and my band is opening up for John Fogarty and I'm hanging out backstage uh, with Kenny and I'm like okay Kenny I have to tell you this story and I told him that and he's like that's great man you know (laughs) So that's it. That's I mean that's a that's a very scary thing to realize and to make the decision towards as a drummer is like I'm going to just devote myself to these to this style and allowing yourself to have that handicap in the other parts of your playing cuz it's when you're growing up you're like I don't ever want to be able to have someone ask me can I can you play this and you got to go that's not my thing. That's scary, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and uh it takes a lot of maturity to be like, I'm just going to say, no, I can't do that. Well, you know, right, right. It goes to what I was talking about, about uh, college a minute ago, because I think especially when you're a young player, it's easy to get distracted and it's easy to um, believe what you're told uh, by a lot of people, which is that like, take every gig, do everything, um, you know, learn everything, just be good at everything. And that's an impossible, daunting task. Um, and, you know, I think the sooner you can sort of distill, um, you know, the couple, three things that you really love and that you really want to be good at, um, the, you know, the sooner you're going to get there, the better off you're going to be. And it sounds like that's kind of what, what Kenny smacked Matt upside the head with. Yeah. Yeah. But Zach, if, if I hear you playing a good train beat, I'm coming to your house. I'm I'm breaking your arm. (laughs) Well, I only have three C minus grooves, so <laughs> that I can't relate that story too much, but uh, I that's, I get the I get the sentiment. Yeah, it's great. That's what great. about what about like six B plus grooves? Where will that get me? Yes, Can you, yeah, get you a doctorate. So I didn't think to ask him that. There's there's the there's the Ash Sone episode. You can check out somebody that has. 20 A plus grooves. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Hey, y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, 
with 10 lugs, chrome over brass triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye uh, all right, so uh, let's just go to Zach. Well, we'll kind of you know play play tennis a little bit. So yeah. Zach's choice is a Primal Concrete Sledge by Pantera, and I'm assuming these are in no particular order. I'm just gonna arbitrarily choose one, or are they? Well, no, I think I sent them to you in no particular order. Okay. Like, uh, if you want to be chronological about it, this this track happens to be like my earliest. Okay. Uh, you know. So, so yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, Primal Concrete Sledge by Pantera from the album Cowboys from Hell. I remember when I was Googling it, I, I it wasn't coming up because I kept putting in cowbells from hell. I don't know why. <laughs> just the way my brain was working that day. But it's from 1990 and it's, it's Vinnie Paul. So I'm going to start it at around 55 uh, seconds into the song. All righty, yeah. man. <laughs> that Tom hit. Oh, yeah. That Tom hit. Oh, my God. So, yeah, Vinny was like one of my, he still is just one of my favorite drummers of all time. And when I was in high school, I was a metalhead and Vinny was my guy. Pantera was my shit. Um, and I had trouble choosing a, a Vinny track. But at, like whenever I think about Vinny, I think about that Tom hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know up until that point in the song like he goes through an intro verse chorus verse chorus just on the double kicks and the hi-hat he's doing that like double time groove mm-hmm. you know and so first of all that was like a groove that i could latch on to when i was 15 you know it wasn't super fast on the kick it was just it was pretty simple so i was like rocking along with that and then you know the the fa- <laughs> the fact that he just does that one huge tom hit in that little gap like that's all he has really time to fill other you know other drummers will try to fit 19 notes in there and Vinny sure. just said fuck it <laughs> bang you know <laughs> and it was one of my first lessons in in just the power of one note the power of one powerful perfectly placed note um and 
you know, he didn't he didn't hit the snare up till that point in the song. Uh, you know, when he hits that like that halftime, that's when the snare comes in. Um, and it was just uh, uh, just such a such a powerful thing for me to listen to over and over again. I had a buddy named Eric who was also a drummer and we just stay up late and get high and just listen to Pantera. Sure. Um, but, you know, how many times did we like feel, you know, feel this part of the song coming up and just both go, you know, bop. Bang. <laughs> I almost awesome. wish they they put out like a remix where in that pause he just goes fuck it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I like I I I have such a soft spot for Vinny. Um, I I actually got to interview him a while back. Uh, it was before I was on the podcast. It was for a written interview. But like he's he's exactly the guy that you think he was. Um, and yeah, just that you know that note is is Vinny and I always smile when I hear it that's awesome yeah amazing yeah Matt number two it's funny so this song actually this exact from from the live record exit stage left YYZ I I, I played on Adam Willard's uh podcast it was not this section it was just kind of he said this record was a big influence on him and I hadn't yeah. heard YYZ in a while so I was like hey, let's just play that one but it's funny you you chose this so this is the drum solo from Rush's exit stage left from I believe 1980. Um, yeah, let's just uh, just cue it yeah. up. could keep it going but yeah uh, oh, i know yeah I know. my god so so i i just chose that because i people that know me i mean neil was such a huge inspiration for me i mean i think when i first started playing any kind of drum it was in school to be in band with my friends and i'm like oh i'm in middle school uh, i'll just play the bass drum and i can hang out with you guys and then I was, you know, wanting i took piano lessons guitar lessons and i'm like oh oh no i'm a drummer and then my neighbor's big brother gave me a cassette of Exit Stage Left, and that just turned everything upside down for me. And uh, a f so I just, I had to choose Exit Stage Left, and I, when I emailed you, I said, let's just throw on YYZ. I mean, there's so many on there. Um, you know, th there's so much for us to dig into a, a just a little over a year after his passing and them stop touring i'm like well i've got enough rush to last me for the rest of my life it's lasted me this long um so he he was so important for me in my development as a as a young drummer to be inspired uh i i just have to say that uh a friend of mine uh was 
bitching a couple years ago about how little Neil swung and how he, he, he was a bottom all the way. And like, Hey, I get it. You know, I mean, we've all seen the buddy rich him trying to play with a big band. I mean, it's, it's not great. Um, but I would challenge, I challenged him. I said, yes, but I have a hard time thinking of there's, there's a, there's a half a dozen drummers that inspire and Neil is in that group. Uh, and for you, it may be Jeff Beccaro, it may be Buddy Rich, it may be Bonham, but uh, for me, it was Neil, and it was it was the the fire that started. Now, when I when I am wanting to feel inspired to create a drum part for a session or a gig or something like that, do I put on Exit Stage Left? No, you know, I don't. I'm finding Steve Jordan. I'm doing something else, but if I want to, uh, I, I just can't deny that inspiration that got me on the path, uh, where I, where I am at, am now. Now, can I play like him? Do I, do I play along with Rush Records anymore? No, I don't do that. Yeah. Um, you know, that doesn't serve me well, but I look to him as the reason why I play music. I'm, and I'm, that's it. I I feel the same way about Neil and and I think any drummer who uh you know says that that he isn't somewhere in their heads is is lying. Um and you know Neil was as much of an influence to me as anyone else on my list. I didn't include him on my list and I applaud you. you knew I would. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would and I I applaud you for doing it because the cynical part of me was like, "Ah, oh, it's too obvious. I'm sure Rush has just shown up on a bunch of these and and I want to be a little more esoteric." Um but, oh, I'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, and you know, knocking Neil for not being able to swing the hardest is like knocking Buddy Rich for not sounding like James Gadson. I mean, it's it's bullshit. Like he put, you know, Neil put that out there. He was passionate about it. Um and just because he didn't swing the hardest, I, I I think it's beside the point if you're looking at his legacy and his influence on uh, the drumming world. One thing I've learned as I've gotten older, especially when I was getting into kind of the more cynical part of my life, when I was learning more about other styles of music and learning in other drummers and, and then kind of looking back at Neil and like, Oh yeah, well maybe I, that maybe that's not as cool as I thought it was. Well, can I play that? No. Then not that I have to play everything, but it's like, what can I aspire to be? So, I don't know. He was a unicorn. He just has to be appreciated for the unicorn that he was. Oh, oh one last thing I'll, I'll say. It's 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 somebody uh, was saying it, it's. Can you play this? Can you play like Neil? Can you do this? Yeah, you can learn the parts and can you copy it? But who came up with the parts? Right. You know who was doing this before? Uh, you know we can all look to different drummers that say he was the first one to do it, and then you know people kind of went on and 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 took it. But who started with it? And that's that's kind of the genius behind some of our our most f- our favorite musicians, our favorite drummers, is who created something that became part of the 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 drumming lexicon. You know that we all love that we all do. And I will say about Neil, and I've said this on the podcast before, but 
he was all about motifs. I mean, any drummer yep. can take away, he would establish a, this is, this is the essence of what I'm going to be working with. And I'm going to continuously remind you that this is what I established. And any, any drummer should take that away from Neil's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also his sounds, I mean, th- how, how clean his tones and how just good his drums sounded back in the late seventies yep. are as good as some of the best drum sounds today. Uh, he that was snare so, tone, so particular. That snare tone on YYZ, like I have not heard it since. Mm-hmm. It's like to, to my ear, like that snare tone exists on that record. And just that's, you know, I don't know how he did it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. On YouTube, uh, there's uh, people are uh, remastering video and audio of different concerts, and one of them from Exit Stage Left, the video, is Xanadu. And if you get a chance to see that, the lighting is better, you see Neil better, and the sound is, I mean, they, they remastered it, and the sound is amazing, and it just, it gives me goosebumps to this day. That's oh. awesome. Love you, Neil. Yeah, amen. Um, all right, so Zach, number two is uh, Don't Drink the Water by Dave Matthews Band. It's, of yeah. course, Carter Beaufort on the drums, and this is from the record before These Crowded Streets from 1998. Oh, and I'm playing it from around uh, minute 440. Cool. That's snare fill, man. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's snare fill. So, like, this was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, there's a few layers of, like, what this means to me. Um, first of all, just my reptile drummer brain heard that fill for the first time, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, just amazing single stroke kind of crescendos and decrescendos and just, like, lands back on that humongous groove. Um, so that, you know, that hit all the pleasure centers in my, in my young drummer brain. Um, but the more I listened to it, um, and I, I even had like a further realization about it like yesterday for the entire song, Carter is just like beating out this relentless groove, right? Like few fills, um, just, you know. Uh, and at that point in the song, uh, like it dips down for the bridge and then the bridge starts building up and Carter just like leaves. He sort of drops the bottom out. The groove goes away. Um, and you know, Dave's voice is just sort of like soaring up over the top. And in order to make that feel even more effective, like he just dropped out and then snuck back in with that, um, that single stroke. So, you know, from a compositional standpoint, uh, that, that got me at another level. Um, and what I realized yesterday, I mean, from a comp- compositional standpoint in terms of like picking your spot, right? Like, I'm going to choose this part in the song to play that thing. And that's, uh, you know, sort of the apex of my drum part for this song. Um, but, you know, the lyrics, this, like, this song is about... Um, colonialism and conquest in all its forms and it's it's from like the the narrator is is the uh 
the colonizer, <laughs> the conquistador, the, you know, whoever you want to call it. And the whole song is just this sort of self-righteous rant about how I deserve this land. I'm more sophisticated than you. You don't know what you're, what you have here. Um, just sort of a manifest destiny thing. And the, the lyrics in that part of the song are like, you started it right on him and said, upon these poor souls, I'll build heaven and call it home. Um, and to, to me, that's, that's a, a powerful, dark <laughs> lyric and just kind of the distillation of this, like the whole sentiment of this song. Like he, he knows what he's doing is wrong, but he still feels he deserves it in some way. And the, the tone of Dave's voice is like, there's pain in it. There isn't joy in it. Right. It's just this sort of dark examination of what he's doing. And that's where this fill comes in. It's just like this spasm of like anger and chaos. And, and, you know, so it just it I realized the other day that's that's sort of another level of what makes that moment powerful. And what I've taken away from that is just like picking your spot in a song. Um, and I have trouble doing it <laughs> a oh, lot yeah. of the time. But that's like that moment in that song uh, is just um, a, a good reminder for me to try and look for those moments. Mm -hmm. There's an there's a orchestral term where what you play creates a picture of the word. Yeah, and I don't uh, I don't remember what it is. Is it uh, is it prosody? No, I I know it is text painting. That's what That's I learned it. getting my first master's degree. Okay. <laughs> that's 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 what I heard. That's what I heard. Text painting, yeah. and it sounds like that's what this drum fill is. I mean, it's it's chaos, but mm -hmm. it's, it's yeah. That's that's cool, dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the higher like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. It's like when it comes to building a groove, there's like just, you know, making sure the groove feels good. Then it's like, you know, different flourishes. Like the very top of that is is having your moment. And it's so hard to, you know, I'm I'm happy if, if my groove just works. I'm like, okay, right. the groove works. Yeah, I'm not in yeah. the way. And then to be able to be in a band where you can communicate musically with your lead singer and have that moment, that's like the apex of the kind of group you want to be in. Yeah. And Carter, you know, like this was kind of a restrained performance for Carter, yeah. you know, and I'll, I'll say like, if love and Carter is wrong, I don't want to be right. I fucking love that guy. I love Dave Matthews band. Uh, it's right, not Tracy Bird. <laughs> Bring back drum gloves. It's, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not how you should play on your wedding gig. I get it. But like, I love Carter Beaufort and this performance in this song was like very restrained for him. Um, and it was an example of like, not, not just about picking your spot, but also about like, um, restraining, um, restraining yourself, but still being yourself in a song. Um, and I think Carter just did that to, to perfection in this track. Which is one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. stay out of the way, but still, you know, have still your voice. be you. Yeah. yeah. All right. So. Uh, again, I, I wish we could keep going down these rabbit holes because I could talk about Carter because weirdly enough, no one's mentioned Carter before, uh, which is a travesty, but, uh, just for the sake of time, let's move on to, to, th they uh, were afraid. They were afraid. <laughs> that'll be the quote uh, that'll be the, uh, <laughs> the ad clip for this episode. Um, all right. So number three is, uh, it's like three, a three B and three C for, oh for, gosh, uh, yeah. for Matt. <laughs> no, no, I love it, dude. Uh, so it's Matt Chamberlain. And I believe all these choices are from, uh, Fiona Apple's when the pawn record from 98 or sorry, 99. 
And I will say real quick, I won't say the actual gym, but when the world was was turning before all this, me and Matt actually went to the same gym. And I've always wanted to, because I live in Los Angeles, so does he. And I never, like, we, we passed so many times when he was, like, putting the weights down. And I was like, are you done, you know? <laughs> but I was never like, hey, uh, you're kind of really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's all sweating. They take off his, what, what, sorry, was that? Right, um, yeah. So I just avoided it at all costs. That's nice but, to uh, know that he works out. That's cool. He looks good. <laughs> he looks great. So, all right. So Matt Chamberlain, the first one is from Fiona Apple's A Mistake. And so, again, all these are going to be from the When the Pawn record. But uh, A Mistake at around 15 seconds. I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to do it on purpose. I'm going to waste my time. Do you want to do these all? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just say probably these first two is it's that uh, I'm trying to remember. It's like a three E N cuts, and it comes in different forms. But that's mm-hmm. the motif, if you will. Uh, one thing that uh, I hear him do it's it's kind of like when somebody plays a track for you. I remember my wife had um, uh, Sarah Baralis's, uh one of her first records, and I'm walking through, and I stopped, and I thought. That's Matt Chamberlain. <laughs> you know, what, what are we listening to here? This is amazing. Because you hear it, and it's like that, that, this, that identifiable thing. And, and that, of course, this whole record kills me, uh, and it's been such an inspiration for so many years. And think about it, 1999, and still so cool in some of the tones. But it's that motif. And probably the next example you hear it as well, it is, um, so it could be snare snare open hat. Uh, in this case, it's just snare snare kick. It's that it's that thing that Matt does so well. It's like the ball is rolling. the The groove, like you said, all I want is the groove to feel good. But Matt does this thing, and it's very. It's not like groove fill groove. It's like groove, and then there's this kind of elevation. But very smooth. Yeah, it's very just like it's like a loosening, right? Like it's a loosening. It's very linear, and it doesn't take you away from that feeling that you're getting from his groove yeah. in the music. Well, let's actually just play the next one that you used for this example. It's the way okay. things are, and let's see if the audience, you know, see how he uses it in this song. Space, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm realizing listening to that? Like Fiona Apple's voice and the way she enunciates, like her, her, her pitch and yeah. her intonation is flawless. 
but but she kind of like mumbles a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. And and I don't I'm, understand the words. <laughs> but I'm hearing the same thing in in Chamberlain's playing because like the tones are like crystal clear. They're so well defined, but he still manages like this sort of soupy, slightly sloppiness, you know, with these tones and the like. There's those two juxtapositions in the in the voice and the drums that just are like perfectly married. Mm. It's that whole record. It's so the producers, I, I was subjecting my son to it. I'm like, you want to learn about production? Listen to this. <laughs> who, who is the producer on that record? I don't remember. It's two, it, it's two dudes. From, from, what I, from what I remember, it's, it was Matt and Fiona and these two guys, mm-hmm. young producers at the time. And, you know, they played guitar and keyboards. And it was just like the four of them in the studio and, and just creating and probably have, and having an amazing time. Sure. Um, All right. So you said the next one again, before we go back to Zach, this is uh, kind of the second of what you're saying is one of Matt Chamberlain's uh, signature fills. And it's in the song uh, Fast As You Can from one minute to about 145. And then we can talk about it. Yeah. And if I could say, basically, I I believe what if I remember right, this is him not hitting a crash cymbal when you're expecting the crash cymbal. Mm. Just this very simple thing. Uh, I remember one of your big fat fives is it, it, and and you hear it often on your with your guests that it, it could be something very simple but hits you mm-hmm. oh zach you even talked about that vinnie paul thing just mm-hmm. like the placement of of something simple that you can play right now but the the conscious uh uh orchestration of this very simple thing that you could employ in the right spot i love it i love it it's coming up to the bridge here. Okay. Fast as you can, baby, scratch me, yourself. Right here, no crash symbol coming up. <laughs> what, a, what a troll. <laughs> yeah, I know. He does it again. Plays a fill, no crash. Right here. I'd be crashing all over that shit. Oh, dude, yep. absolutely, Me too. maniac. And then he, and then, and then at the second half of that bridge, he finds that time to hit that one crash. And I remember years ago doing a session for an old friend of mine, and he said, "You have one crash to play. You choose." But you're allowed to hit that crash symbol one time in that song, in this your, song. Your lifeline. Yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to use my crash symbol now. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and it was such a great thing, man. And I'm like, because we overplay. Not only do we overplay our symbols, uh, recording, but that. And I love to do that. And I remember working on something years ago, and somebody said. Uh, oh, so uh, we were playing for the songwriter, and um, she thinks you missed a crash here because there was no crash. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I didn't miss a crash. If she wants one there, I'll put it there. But I did that on purpose. But that's kind of digressing in a different direction. But that he pulls the rug out, man, and it's just it makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah, it makes the um, like because you know what does play the downbeat is piano, bass kick drum and the absence of a crash symbol makes all of those things just like so much richer and warmer yep. and they like they all speak they all breathe and it just feels like 
this sort of like luxurious heavy thing instead of you know right around uh 90 i'm sorry 90 uh 2000 2001 i was working at forks drum closet and i had my cds that i would listen to and practice along with and you know because we had cds and it was probably a dozen or so in there and matt chamberlain walks in now i had met him before i was his drum tech at his very first drum clinic ever and uh but my hair was different and i didn't know if he would recognize me or not but i i approached him and and talked to him he was very nice and I said, would you do me a favor and just sign some sign one? I have I have a CD. I, well, I went to my I open up my CD case, and probably ten of the twelve he had been on. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is embarrassing. But let me just choose one. You have like Matt Hart's Matt on your like. <laughs> well, and yeah, there were some like Eminem. random. Yeah. <laughs> There were some like random like uh, Bigfoot type photos of him walking out of a store <laughs> that I had, you know, there yeah. was him, you know, the usual. I, yeah. Yeah. You can kind of see my car door in the picture where I'm parked outside his house. Um, <laughs> but yeah. he was he was very kind. I, he, I just, he signed it and got the fuck out of there. Yeah. <laughs> he threw the I mean, the restraining the order is only 50 feet, so I can <laughs> I can go see him play. You can, still. You can airdrop that. Clo- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just don't get near him at the gym. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, all right, so number three for Zach will be the song We by John Schofield Trio Live from En Route, and that's from 2004. Yeah, so the, like, the setup to this is I, I heard this record um, when I was in grad school in Kansas City. Um, I was heavy into jazz, and, and up to that point, I had been listening to the older cats for whatever reason. I just had not gotten hip to really any like modern jazz drummers. So, you know, I was listening to, uh, you know, of course, Buddy and Max Roach and Tony and and Elvin and, um, you know, like mostly just the 60s guys um, and older stuff, 40s, 50s, whatever, Philly Joe. Um but a, a buddy of mine just sort of started talking about Bill Stewart. I was like, who's Bill Stewart? He was like, you don't know, you're not hip to Bill Stewart? And he like he told me to go get this record, this John Schofield Trio live record called En Route. Um, and I put it on, and this is the opening track. Like, the, the, the beginning of the entire record is eight bars of Bill Stewart, and my fucking head exploded. All right. So is it pronounced we or we? I think the latter. <laughs> Okay, so this is We by John Schofield. Also said uh, when they start trading off, starting at about five fifty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Sounds like that mic is right next to that hi-hat. Yeah, it must be. So good, man. And that's an electric bass, obviously, right? It's a hollow body. Okay, it sounds cool. Steve, Steve Swallow. Yep. So rad, man. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that record. Yeah. So, like, where? I mean, where do I start with this drumming? Like, <laughs> yeah. it it just did not sound like any jazz drumming I had ever heard before. And you know, there's um, like his flat interpretation of of the swing, um, the tones he uses, those crazy trashy old A Zildjian cymbals. Um, you know that he I think he uses like a, a metal snare, a copper snare tuned really high. He's just getting all kinds of different. Uh, sounds and twang and articulations out of that snare um you know his his approach to uh orchestration moving around the kit layering like rhythmic themes on top of each other it was like it, it's not rudimental like all of the jazz drumming that i had been listening to like you could sort of trace it back to like the rudimental thing and Bill Stewart is not rudimental. He's gestural. Like he figures out ways mm. to make these gestures around the kit. Um, and just the active role he played, especially in that trio, like there's just constant dialogue, just this constant interlocking of everything that's going on with the bass. Um, his, his left hand like almost plays the role of, uh, you know, a piano. Like if you imagine a piano comping behind that stuff and then listen to Bill Stewart's snare drum, like there's just a universe of sound inside that snare drum. Like there's yeah. a universe of harmony inside a piano. Um, so yeah, this just this just made my head explode, and I drove around with this CD in my car for an entire summer on repeat, um, and and was was just a straight up Bill Stewart clone for uh, some years thereafter. Um, but you know, I I I just think that Bill Stewart is one of the most unique voices in the history of jazz drumming and i can't get enough i'll be honest i'm one of the guys that you know i would i'm, I'm not well rehearsed in bill stewart so i'm really excited that uh that you brought this on because this is really exciting check out there's a youtube concert footage of them live at the blue note this trio i think it's and this it is, record is it this record i'm pretty sure uh, Okay, so then, uh, I mean, dude, I, I love Bill Stewart. I had his solo record, and then the first tour I ever did when I moved to Nashville was a van and trailer thing across the country. We're in California. We go into a Barnes & Noble. I'm like, I need some new music. I picked up this record mm. on CD. And we had just you know CD players. And so for the, the, the rest of the tour, I listened to this album. It's so funny that you, you brought this. I mean, I, I saw your list briefly, but I, I didn't realize this is what it was. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I love and, and he plays match grip. So yeah, he's I mean, a match gripper. Oh, uh, there's he, hope for I, me I, yet. I think, <laughs> I, I think that's what the video is. You see him moving around, especially in parallel with his hands and the tones he gets mm -hmm. uh, with that hammered Ludwig. Yeah. So oh, I love him. God, it's so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah love the, it. The tones on that are amazing. 
Um, all right, so I don't want to move on, but let's uh, let's keep going on. But go check out Bill Stewart, the uh, yeah, it's John Schofield Trio Live. Uh, all right, so the you said the whole album. Uh, this is back to Matt. The whole album of Grace by Jeff Buckley, and that is the amazing Matt Johnson on drums. But because I forced you to, you picked a song because you're awesome. Yeah. So the song is uh, Last Goodbye, and it's around 13 seconds into the mm-hmm. song to around a minute. far back so great yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's one of my desert island records uh a buddy of mine was setting up a pa for a gig I was doing in Columbus and uh, he had that on and I just stopped it. What, what am I listening to? And he told me, and then a friend of mine sent me the CD and this album, Jeff Buckley's Grace, uh, is like a complex abstract painting that there's some pop sounding songs on there, but there's also some things on this album that you're like, what? I don't know if I like this. And then you hear it again and like, oh, interesting. And then you listen to it again. And as an old teacher of mine used to say, repeated listening is worth it because it just, it's great. Matt on it, again, this is another one of those records when I would play along, along with records more, I felt like my groove, my rock groove would get better. And his ideas were great and... um He's, he, again, the tones, I mean, you know, it's not big washy cymbals. It's not always a big thuddy tom. It could be a brighter tune tom. Um, but but it's, it's one of those situations where great drumming, great pocket, great ideas, and good music kind of marry together to make just this experience as a drummer, as a musician, as a, as a human uh, it just fires on all cylinders, and so again, it's it's one, it, I'm stuck on a desert island. Give me that record, I'll I'll be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the tones he can bring out of a, a drum. When I took a, a, a lesson with him, uh, we actually in L.A. we had uh, rooms across the hall from each other, like directly. And so as I was walking out, he was like, "Well, let me let me see what you're working with." And it was a it was like a, a room kit. So I had my snare and my cymbals, but the kit was kind of like a shared kit. And I was, you know making up all these excuses like it doesn't sound good i'm not in, as inspired blah blah because it was yeah. this old shitty ludwig standard that was like just totally falling apart and it's like well let me do, let me sit down so uh i think he actually used someone else's snare that was kind of not good not good sounding i uh, can't talk good either but uh yeah it just it didn't sound very nice and he sits it down and he just starts playing on it and of course it sounds like the yeah. prettiest drum set you've ever heard in your life <laughs> And it yeah, was just like yeah. inspiring and deflating all at the same time. Cause you're like, man, you can make anything just sound good. He's got those, you know, and, yeah. I, and I think I, I, I talk about that same story in the Brody Simpson episode, but uh, yeah, he's so good. 
He's he's a deep he's a deep guy, man. It's and and it's like it comes out in his playing. Um, yeah. I, I had a chance to talk to him on the podcast a few years ago, and uh, I didn't understand half of the things he said. Uh, <laughs> I knew we were speaking English, but um, no, he's just great. I'm just I'm yeah. such a fan. His work with Saint Vincent, uh, when mm-hmm. you see it live, is insane. Uh, all the different projects that he's done. So it's it's hard to just focus on this one thing but that this record is 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 a just a continues to be an inspiration all these years later so i have two things to say about that so first of all i need to listen to this record more uh because it's just it sounds like everything i love about 90s drumming right like mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. 90s tones mm-hmm. um that kind of bright roomy thing um but you know what you were saying, Ben, about how like he just sat down with this shitty snare and it sounded amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me of something that that uh, Matt and I have sort of uh, come to the realization of over doing um, all these podcasts, which is like our our sound is in our hands. It's not in our sticks. It's not in our drums. It's not in our heads. Um, you know, guitar players talk all the time about how your sound is in your hands, and it doesn't matter what strings or pickups. Like it's in your hands, and I think the same is true for us. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, Matt Johnson is just an example of someone who has like figured out what his hands do and, you know, how to just get a good sound out of almost anything with his hands. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. was so funny cause I've heard him talk about recording that record, how he was just trying to emulate all these amazing drummers that had already figured it out and he hadn't yet. And, and it's like now people reference that as this drummer who's figured it out. But when he was recording it, he felt really, uh, you know, unrehearsed and not ready for that record. And it's just it's so funny that we're, we're you know, always our worst critics. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So moving on to, to Zach again, it's going to be On the Lake by the Peter Erskine Trio and uh, from the record Badlands from 2002. Yeah. And... Yeah. So I, I chose this one because um, the the moment, um, you know, the, the reason this is on here is not because of the record. It's because of when I saw the Peter Erskine trio play this live. Mm. Um, and every time I listen to the record, I think I think back on this night. I was uh, I was in college in my undergrad in Indiana and um, Peter Erskine trio was playing at the Jazz Kitchen in Indianapolis. And I like was sort of hip to Peter Erskine. I knew who he was. I hadn't really heard him before. And so I went. I was like, this is going to be awesome. This is a, it's a trio led by a drummer. Holy shit, it's going to be drums all night. Mm-hmm. And this might have been the first track. This might have been the first song they played. I don't remember. But um, it's, it's quarter notes with a brush on a ride cymbal at like maybe 60 BPM. And when I saw Peter Erskine play this, uh, you know, the club was just dead silent and he was just banging out these brush quarter notes on the ride cymbal and his eyes were closed and these piano chords were going by and like on his face, you could, he was just like living and dying with every quarter note and every chord change on the piano. And it blew me away because I had never seen a drummer or any musician really like so committed and so present in something so simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it made, uh, it just made the music like incredibly profound and meaningful and beautiful to just see him lock into this incredibly simple thing and be 
completely committed and completely present in it. Um, so when we jump in here, I think we're starting at around two minutes or something. Yeah. At the, like <laughs> at this point, Peter Erskine has been playing quarter notes on a ride cymbal with a brush for two minutes from the beginning of the track. Like, you know, piano's doing some stuff and bass kind of comes and layers in and this melody kicks in and they, you know, and all the time he's just doing these quarter notes. And when they, you'll hear him move to the bridge and he finally does something else and he moves to the snare on brushes and just like one, two, and three, four, and one, two, and... Like the big change was going from something incredibly simple to something else incredibly simple <laughs> like with the snare like no kick no cymbals no hi-hat just like quarters on a ride to one two and three four and one on the snare and if you can just as you listen to this like imagine peter erskine's like bushy eyebrows sort of going up and down <laughs> you know and I like maybe Maybe his face scrunches up a little bit, like when there's a dissonant chord, and like you're you're in a dimly lit jazz club in Indianapolis. He was doing the crossword, New York Times crossword, on a snare drum with the other hand. man that's powerful yeah and it, it just taught me that like that's that's all you need sometimes that's all you need um if you if you do it as earnestly and committedly as as peter erskine did it when i saw him that night um yeah it, it's you know there seems to be such an intentionality in where he puts that and one and two and three and four yeah and two Three and it's just put in the right spot. He's not even concerned with where the downbeat is. Yep, it just creates this motion that moves forward. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that you know, you know, kind of the same way I I, I smile every time I hear that you know that Vinnie Phil, um, and I think of him, or I think of that note when I think of Vinnie. You know, I whenever I think of Erskine, I think of this track, and just you know my little twenty year old self in uh <laughs> in indianapolis in this blue lit jazz club just watching peter erskine's face sort of uh you know go through go through this tune I, like i saw the tune happening on his face it was insane sipping on your shirley temple <laughs> <laughs> was oh, it with the cherry a... or without the cherry that's oh a, with that's... the cherry give me okay. the, give me extra cherries <laughs> yeah yeah Give me extra olives in my martini, and uh, are you going to eat that pickle? He was in his mid-20s. He hadn't been with a girl yet, man. It was just, you know, he's just... 
<laughs> wow, airing out the laundry here. I love this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so moving on. It was to... the most intimate experience of my life <laughs> yeah, exactly. up until that time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So back to Matt. This is uh, Shannon Forrest in the song mm. uh, One's a Couple off a Leanne Womax record. There, yeah. There's more where that came from. Yeah, so th this record for, for everyone's like, oh, country music, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, I didn't know a lot of country music before I moved to Nashville, but I mean, I knew there was those incredible players, but my favorite country music is kind of this classic country sounding compositions, but recorded in a modern way. I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't grow up with it. I've got friends that, you know, oh, the 60s and 70s and early 80s or, or 90s, you know, they have their kind of eras. And as a drummer, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my head around or, or to get past the gated snare drum or whatever, even though Larry London is, you know, it's like, oh, this is what a brilliant part or, you know, Eddie Bears really defined this type of train groove. Mm -hmm. But this record, uh, Shannon is a beast. There's so many I could I couldn't choose you know there was there was a Chad Cromwell thing there was you know Greg Morrow there there's my he local heroes here, but Shannon so many people know Shannon from being you know the Jeff Picaro now of Toto, and uh, he's just so so amazing. But one thing that Shannon does that I was able to steal or f or I I didn't like consciously do it I'm like I found myself doing it was this Phil ooh got boom boom and he finds the place to do it and it happens a couple times on this record but I'm, I wasn't going to do that to you again after I did that with Matt Chamberlain but <laughs> his touch and tone is signature and um, I love we Leanne Womack and uh, this if somebody wanted to say I don't know anything about country and I want to know about it is there a record you would recommend Leanne Wom Leanne Womack more where that came from is amazing so sorry Great, awesome. One's a couple, baby. Two's a crack. We came in here to be alone. No TV, no telephone. There's harmonies. Everybody is one beating Shannon to every downbeat. <laughs> so great. There it is. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Boom, boom. Woo. Kind of, it's in it's, the back seat, son. Woo. Yeah, he he just destroys that record. And um, the songs, again, it's another one of those. The songs are great. Her singing is so good. Um, it, it fires on all cylinders. And um, people say, well, I like this kind of music, or I don't like that kind of music. It's like, I'm, I like country music. Oh, really? Yes, here, this is this record, please. <laughs> I like I country mean, music as well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. There's mm -hmm. so many great examples. And luckily, there's more and more now. We're, we've gone down kind of a dark path of country music. But there, mm -hmm. yeah. there, it, there's, 
there's you know what here here's the thing i mean it's i was coming up with like oh well you know uh, there's this untouchable uh, style of music called jazz it's like that is it's supposed to be this and that it's like no there is bad jazz Oh, tons! Yeah. I think there's more bad jazz than good jazz. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you can't you can't define a style and say it's good or bad. There's there's great music and there's shitty music, mm-hmm. and um, enough of that. But this record is great, and that drum fill that Shannon employs on several occasions on different recordings that I've heard him, it it's. It works so well, and it, it it has the right amount of space and syncopation to get to the next place without interfering with the song. Yeah, I was gonna say it, it gets it gets a little bit drum geeky, but just like leaving beat four empty like that, um, you know, sort of makes it makes the listener just sort of like perk up for a second. And and if yeah. you don't if you don't abuse them in that moment, you know, if you just play something simple but just leave that beat four out, um, it it uh just sort of adds some momentum and just like um you know, a point a point of interest where, you know, like Pat Boone, Debbie Boone doesn't or da 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 doesn't. Right. You know? Right, it, right, right. And 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 as the song goes on, I mean I wish I wish I encourage you know all these all these songs to to go listen to, but I mean later on in the song he 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 plays a much bigger fill based mm. on, in the same spot of the song later on. So he, you know he's thinking going circling back to the the Neil thing like c- compositionally like building upon starting simple and then taking the same motif and building upon it because it's later in the song we've already heard this chorus how do we elevate it and take it to the next level it's like setting it up for yourself and then knocking it down like if the first time around you do something like kind of cool but pretty simple then later in the song you know even if it's subconsciously the listener is like oh this part's coming up again what's he gonna do and then if you deliver in that moment you know oh yeah yeah it's it's so great his brushwork on this is is brilliant um he's he's amazing there we go. Shannon's another drummer that um, I think it's because well, while I do enjoy country music, it's not something that I, I seek out. And so I don't mm-hmm. actually, I'm not super familiar with a lot of his discography, but I'm excited to go down that rabbit hole. Me too. Um, yeah. Matt, you're done. You are done. I'm out. Go, go away. Yeah. No. You're excused. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Zach, Zach, this is number five for you. And I was, I was really. going to be here with my kibasa. <laughs> the whole time just can you meet your dad yeah. sorry you um, got talking yeah. if, if you play kibasa over keith carlock i'm gonna come to nashville and beat your ass that's fair <laughs> that's the name of zach solo record um, <laughs> a long title yeah. all right so it's gonna be uh the song lopez from rudder off the album rudder from 2011 and unfortunately as as uh you know because you sent me the youtube link this is not on spotify uh it might be on apple music i don't know i don't have apple uh, yeah music. i don't know either i can't find this this was their first record it was a self-titled one and then they they put out a second one called matorning mm-hmm. and on on youtube it mistakenly puts this song like with the cover from matorning yeah um but uh yeah i mean so if you just google rudder lopez you'll find the song but i don't know about the whole record i don't know what happened to it um yeah so it's keith carlock on drums and just basically said start it from the beginning so that is what i will do 
bass drum sound. Fuck. <laughs> Listen to as much of this as you want to play. <laughs> Just for the sake of copyright yeah. that me and Matt kind of get into the last time, I wish I don't know the answer to that. Of course. Uh, I don't understand. We'll He's just playing one and three and two and four, man. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, what a shitty pick, Zach. <laughs> oh, man. I could do that. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, you, you won't sound like that. Neither yeah, will I. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Uh, I, I chose this because it was, um, you know, Ke like Keith Carlock uh, has become one of my guys. Um, and this was one of the first records that I listened to him on. And it's just uh, an example of how, um, like, you know, Keith Carlock doesn't come up with crazy 50 ways to leave your lover parts, right? He just plays time. He just plays backbeats. But he's so him. He's so, again, just committed to his sound. Um, I heard this track and I was like, I don't, I, I no longer care about, well, let's just say I care, I care less about um, coming Eating, up with Eating, sleeping, <laughs> shelter. Yeah, women, it's all gone. Um, Shirley Temple. No, like I. <laughs> So I heard this and I was just like, I care less about what the part is and I care more about making it sound a certain way. That like you like you guys said, it's just the simplest one, two, three, four uh. groove, but it's it's Keith Carlock and it just has that bouncy sort of like energy in it. Um you know, anytime I hear Keith Carlock, I think about how he looks when he plays mm. because just his stroke and his motion uh, and his ergonomics are so distinct and they're intertwined with his sound. Um, and like you mentioned, the tones, like the drum tones that, you know, the, that, that groove kicked in and I was like, what the fuck are these drums? Yeah. What <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, just uh, that track and and Carlock's playing in general has has stuck with me in terms of you know marrying your tones with your groove with your motion um and just being confident in in all of it and finding a way to make something that everybody plays sound like you invented it mm -hmm. yeah he has a thing and like the way he angles his drum and you can yep. hear the ch the chatter on his left hand yep. is swinging mm -hmm. while the bass player is not as and much. And that's you know. the other thing. Tim LaFave on bass, um, uh, I got to know him a little bit when I was in L.A., and and he's just one of my favorite bass players of all time. Him and Carlock have such a, a special connection in this band, in the stuff they did together with uh, Wayne Krantz. Um, mm. You know, like Tim, you know, t <laughs> it's another example of how, you know, Keith Carlock is playing the simplest groove in the history of grooves and it sounds amazing. Tim LaFave is back there going one, five, 
one, five. Well, like he's not doing anything, and it sounds fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, yeah. it, and it's again just the marriage of tones and groove and uh, motion. Um, another thing I think about when I hear this band is is uh, I was asking Tim, I was talking with him one day, asking him about another bassist in L.A. who shall remain nameless, but he was like an, an acrobat bassist, just an absolute <laughs> virtuoso, like all up and down the fretboard chords, just like a one man fucking circus on the bass. And I asked him what he thought of him. And he thought for a minute, he was like, you know, he doesn't really play the bass, <laughs> you know, and, and that like got me thinking about what, like, what does it mean to, to really play the bass? What is the role of the bassist? What does it mean to really play the drums? And I've looked at other drummers since then, um, who are, you know, just Olympic athletes on the kit. And, and what Tim said was like, you know, he's, he doesn't really play the drums, He's playing something else. He's playing music. He's playing some amazing shit, but like, mm, that's I'm, interesting. I'm, you know? Um, so yeah, that's just some of the things that, that have stuck with me about, about this track and, and Keith in general. Well, it's a great example of like you were saying, the bass is just doing one, five, one, five and, 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 and Keith's just holding it down. It's those intangibles and you hear songs like that and you can't, I mean, yes, we can, we can pontificate on exactly why it sounds like it does, but it's these things are like, you can you can play what Richard Redmond would call the money beats all day, and you can make it sound like the coolest fucking thing in the world. Yeah. Um, but you can't describe why it sounds so cool. You can say, oh, he's behind the beat. He has his left hands doing this. But like, that's just so many, you know, you focus on one thing and it's like a whack-a-mole. Because like, well, I want to do this like Keith. And then this, like, well, no, he now he's doing this. But if you zoom out, he's just doing eighth notes and one and three. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's so exciting. That's it's it's the the fact that you know you can spend your whole life working on a million things, and then beats like that still give you chills. You know, yeah. it's like I surrender. There's, it's, <laughs> I, I'm never gonna be. You know, uh, right. goalposts keep moving in in the in, in the best possible way. So yeah. yeah, yeah. For me, but that's inspiring to me. That's yeah. that's. Uh, I mean, you. I, I don't know if you meant to sound like a little bit um, discouraged or, or defeated in that sentiment, but like you know the the. I think maybe a running theme through all of my choices is that like something so simple can be so amazing yeah. and you, you can't necessarily recreate, you know, uh, that Keith Carlock feel or that Carter Beaufort fill or whatever. Um, but you can, you can come up with your own moments like that, your own feels like that. Um, and so, so that's, you know, I, (laughs) the, the idea of like, going after that kind of thing is so much more inspiring to me than shedding independence or <laughs> getting faster or, you know, um, I couldn't agree that's more. Just, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I've been at for a while. And everyone that wants to hire you will love you for that. Yep. Yep. All right, guys. Well, that, uh, that's the show. I mean, we got through all 10 of them. Um, yeah. you guys killed it. A- that was a blast, man. I got so much more listening to do now. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that, that's why I did this because I, or I do this podcast because there's so many, I'm embarrassed with how many drummers that are just in the Rolodex of what people say, like Bill Stewart, you know, and I'm just like, sure. And then I like, can't name one song. So, <laughs> right. um, uh, Peter the Erskine's the same, same way. Yeah. By the way, uh, for, <laughs> if anyone's still listening, go check out Working Drummer Podcast. 
Uh, the Instagram is Working Drummer Podcast. That's the handle. Mm-hmm. The website is WorkingDrummer.net. Matt's got an Instagram. I've got an Instagram. Uh, we're all we're all out there. But thank you for having us, man. We love we love what you do, and and we're happy totally. that we happy that we got to sort of uh, trade with with another great drum podcast. Hell yeah, dude! You, yeah, you do such a great job. It's so unique, and it and it's a deep dive into some things that. Uh, I just I just love what you do and and your presentation and your energy and uh, it's just really enjoyable to listen to. Oh well, let's just keep talking then because uh, now <laughs> you guys make it feel good. I don't want to go. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk to you guys soon and uh, yeah, cheers. Cool. Right, Thanks, cheers, man. man. See ya. And that's the show. If you're interested, please check out www.bigfatsnaredrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, at Big Fat Snare Drum. Cheers, y'all.